morning, turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in two different epistles this morning. Uh, this is the second message in a series that I started called Keeping Christ in Christmas. Keeping Christ in Christmas. Uh, the goal is some realistic and practical teaching for us. Because, friends, keeping Christ in Christmas has nothing to do with cultural wars. You know, you can be uh, critical of all the corporations and you can, uh, <laughs> you know, be kind of snarly to the people who say happy holidays to you. And you can do all that stuff. But friends, it really isn't about a cultural war. If you want to keep Christ in Christmas, you need to keep Christ in yourself. And the more that you immerse yourself in the Savior, in Jesus, not only the more of the joy you'll have, but the better uh, you'll be able to relate uh, to those around you. So the goal in this series is specifically some practical things. And last week we looked at how you can keep Christ in the center of your celebrating we talked about decorations. We talked about Christmas traditions. And honestly, sometimes it's easy to get lost. And it's easy for Jesus to get lost, you know, amongst all the, the fun of Santa and Rudolph and Frosty and Ralphie and all those guys. But we need to make an effort to make sure that we keep Christ in our celebrating. Today, I want to talk about how to keep Christ in your relating you're relating to family members, you're relating to neighbors uh, at your family get-togethers, at those office parties, those people who just seem to know your hot button and can steal the joy out of the season. Very practical teaching again. I want to read two portions of Scripture. The first is 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. That's, that's pretty descriptive of the day we live in. They will be boastful. They'll be proud. They'll scoff at God. Disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving. They'll be unforgiving. They'll slander others. will have no self-control. <laughs> I hope there's nobody in particularly coming to your mind as I read that. But there could be because we live with people that are unloving and unforgiving. The Bible says they'll betray their friends. Man, that hurts, doesn't it? When someone you love and you've invested in and they betray you and they walk away, that hurts. How do we deal with that? Particularly around the holidays. It says they'll be uh, cruel and, and hate what is good. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and, and love pleasure rather than God. Maybe we can use a loose paraphrase. They love the trappings of Christmas rather than the reason for Christmas. They will act religious perhaps, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. 
Stay away from people like that. And then turn to 1 Peter chapter number 3. Beginning with verse number 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if they do harm you with their tongue, with their actions, with their demeanor, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats, the people we just read about. Instead, here's what the Bible tells us to do. To keep Christ in Christmas, to keep Christ the center of our life, we must worship Christ as Lord of our life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to give reason for the hope that you have. Why you can be full of joy. Why you can be at peace. Why you can be smiling in the midst of all the divisiveness and anger of the world. If there's a time that Jesus needed to shine through us during this Christmas season, I believe it's in 2021. Now, I don't know. You, you guys are really quiet this morning. Maybe you all have perfect families. I, I don't know. Maybe every one of your get-togethers is stress-free. I'm not going to ask a show of hands. That'd be wonderful if, you know, Cousin Joe and uh, Aunt Margaret, and I, if everybody got together. It'd be wonderful to think that everybody that was close to you supported your faith, your faith decisions. Everybody agreed with you how to raise your children. Everybody liking each other and just going with the flow and living kind of a healthy, balanced, functional life. That might be your reality. And if it is, feel free just to go ahead and leave now. It's fine. I, I won't be offended. This teaching obviously is for somebody else. Unfortunately, we all have that odd duck in our family. And many of us even have antagonists in our family. They won't just let us believe the way that we believe. They want to undermine it. And for some of you, I'm just being real. I know I've been in ministry for 35 years I've heard some of your stories. I've cried with you. For many of you, family is not something that's all that enjoyable. And you have to grin and bear it, and you have to endure the celebrations. And you're kind of in a survival of the fittest mode right now. And I've designed, and I've prayed, and I've studied. This message is really for you. You can still keep Christ in your Christmas. If you're a person of faith... Man, it, it gets really awkward. You know, you want to present Christ to your family. Obviously, we all want to give that answer for hope. We want that. We want to share our faith with our relatives. But sometimes they're the hardest people on the planet to share with. You know, much easier to share with your neighbor than your family. We want to model Christ-like joy and patience and love. But it's hard when they know our hot buttons and immediately they start pushing them. <laughs> For most of us, it's easier to be, you know, Jesus on a two-week mission trip to Haiti. 
than it is to be Jesus in family dynamics where there's tension. So how do we keep Christ in Christmas when it comes to relatives, family, friends, neighbors, reunions, trips back home, people coming to visit you? Um, I don't have all the answers, but here's what we can do. We can talk about some basic reaction strategies, and that's what I want to do today. We want to look at the three most common types of people that we have to learn how to respond to, and we're going to look how the Bible tells us to respond to them. So the first type of person would be what I call the allergy. The allergy, okay? That's the person you're allergic to. They drive you crazy. <laughs> they drain you dry. They're not bad people. They didn't do anything scandalous. They're not really trying to undermine you. They're just like an allergy. You know, they're hard to be around the way they talk. Nonstop. <laughs> Their mannerisms, how they eat just bothers you. And you look over and you see them and you think, didn't anyone teach them table manners? They might be loud and obnoxious and always have that crazy joke. They might be juvenile. I had a friend once and I loved him dearly. This is when we were in Oregon. But, and I, I really loved him, but he just thought he knew everything there was to know about anything that we were discussing. I've never seen a guy who is an expert in everything. It didn't matter what the topic was. And man, it just sometimes got under my skin. Now, you might have people that meddle in everything that you do. You know, how you cook, how you clean, how you decorate. Aunt Margaret that gives you some constructive criticism on your mantle. I mean, maybe how to raise your kids. You're fine with these people in theory. I mean, you love them, they're their family, but in practice, they make you sneeze. <laughs> you know, <laughs> allergy. <laughs> Those people are an allergen, and your emotional reaction is negative. You let them irritate you. So a coping strategy for people that you might run into that are allergies in your life is to realize, and you're not going to like this, but they aren't the real issue. <laughs> They're not the issue. It's really about you and how you're reacting. Our network leader, this would be my pastor, my direct spiritual authority that I submit to, Don Ross. He's our network leader. He has said it so many times. It's become so ingrained in me. He says, always remember, whatever you're going through, it's about what Jesus is wanting to do in your life. Oh, you might be, you know, the target of a lot of arrows. You, you might be betrayed. You might have a lot of wrongs done at you. But he says it's always ultimately about what is Jesus doing in your life. See, we all have different allergies. And you may be allergic to something that I'm not allergic to. You might react to pollen or ragweed and Somebody else might be fine with it. So remind yourself, it's really 
The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. Those crazy relatives just happen to be your allergy. You can't help it. But don't make them out to be the bad guy. Or don't beat yourself up either. Because the dark tendency is to justify my allergic reaction by vilifying. Boy, we see that in politics all the time. You demonize the opponent. That's what you do. We see it in churches. <laughs> Sometimes our reaction is to tear the other person down so that we feel good about ourselves. But friends, that doesn't work. We still have allergy. So I'm not trying to be hard. I'm just trying to help us refocus. And second, take a stiff, close of, uh, a stiff dose of allergy medications before you interact with them. Okay, straight from the teaching of Jesus, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Boy, it's good to have all of our live stream people back with us. We apologize. We had a technical difficulty last week, and we weren't able to live stream, but we're back up, and it's great to have all of you uh, wherever you might be watching us. Matthew 5, 44, this is red letter. That means Jesus uh, is saying this himself. I say to you, love your enemies. Love your allergies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, the ones you get along with, how are you different from anyone else? Because even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Think about that for a moment. That's heavy stuff. If you all love those, if all you do is love those who are easy to love, you really don't know what it means to love. Because love's not a feeling. Love's a commitment. While we were rebelling, when we were out in our own sinful world, Christ loved us so much, he went to the cross and he died for us. We weren't loving him, but he still loved us. The love Jesus calls us to uh, model is a choice. It's an act. It's, a, it's not a natural reaction. It's a decision. It's a decision. So when it comes to people you're allergic to, remind yourself that the call on your life is what is Jesus trying to temper in me? What is he refining in me? Why are these people like sandpaper? Well, inwardly, maybe it's like an oyster, you know, and that grit and that irritant is actually making a very special pearl in your heart. So take the intentional effort on the front end like praying for them before you actually see them. I mean, that's a, a good piece of advice. If, 
you know, Henry is going to bother you, begin to pray for Henry the day before you see him. Because once you start praying for people, you see them in God's eyes. It'll help you to be more patient. It'll give you strength you don't have. Ask God to help you. Uh, ask God to, to use you to show them who Jesus is. And then, of course, be street smart. You know, God does call us to love the unlovely, but he doesn't call us to seek out all those that we're allergic to. Sometimes God allows people to be removed from your life for your own good. So don't look for allergies. Don't sit next to them if there's a seat on the other side of the table. Monitor your endurance, okay? The second uh, type of person, and it doesn't have to be a relative, could just be somebody you know, but I want to call them the, the troll. That, that's something that we're kind of familiar with in this day and age of technology. It's an internet slang. Most of you have heard troll. A troll is someone who goes on to a site, could be a Facebook or Instagram, or it could be a blog or some kind of a thread, and they purposely, intentionally post things that are very inflammatory and sometimes way off topic. But they do it in order just to get people riled up, to try to provoke people into emotional responses. They're trying to pick a fight. Boy, there's nothing that bothers me more, and more than once I've taken my own Facebook post down because I've posted something that is pretty generic, and then somebody comments on it trying to stir up somebody, and pretty soon you have two or three people who are just at each other on your post that has nothing to do with what you posted. And there's been times I've just pulled it off and said, I'm not going to let trolls control my post. You see, just because someone's trying to pick a fight and incite emotions, and that's, you know, that's the way our country is. It's the way our politicians work. You incite emotions. You incite fear. You incite uh, disbelief. And you get this great following reaction, and it's kind of filtered down into who we are as a society. And trolls want to lure you to the dark side. It's how they get their kicks. They love it. They love to stir up trouble. Unfortunately, some people have trolls in their family. You know, they just want to punch a button and watch everybody go crazy. So if they know you're a conservative Republican, they'll probably say something really snarky about Fox News. You know, just to see what your reaction is. Or maybe they know you're a vegetarian. So they purposely meet, uh, bring meat, you know, for, for the family potluck. They, they just want to start a fight. Maybe they know you homeschool. And so all of a sudden, all you hear about is, oh, the country is being overtaken by socialism and on and on. And maybe they know you're a Seahawk fan, so they wear their Packard jersey. I, I, no, hey, I, sorry, Chris and all my Packer fans. I love you, really. 
But where the trolls can be the worst is when it comes to religion, when it comes to your faith. Most family members are probably respectful of your faith in Jesus. Some might even be sympathetic, even though they might not have that same relationship with the Lord. But there could be one outspoken atheist or agnostic who just loves to pull your chain about Jesus, about the Bible, you know? And they'll say things, you know, about, well, science has proven that the Bible is, can't be believed. Oh, religion's just a money-making scheme. Oh, they're just a bunch of phonies and hypocrites. Oh, you know, religion's just an emotional crutch for weak people. Yeah, you've heard all that stuff. Okay, here's the way to deal with trolls, okay? Remember, we're acknowledging the Bible says there's going to be people like this. And then we also read that we have to have a reason for our hope. We have to know how to respond. So I know this is real practical teaching, but it's, I believe, biblical teaching. First of all, when people do that kind of stuff, do not take the bait. That's what they want. They want a rise out of you. Don't take the bait. It's just going to egg them on. It's just going to throw fuel on the fire. They don't want an honest conversation. They don't want a dialogue. They're just trolling. You know? So don't get in that lock and load kind of mentality. It's what I call deflect and defer. <laughs> deflect it and defer to Jesus. Take what the Bible says is a soft reply approach. That's what the Bible tells us to do, not to just yell louder at them. Man, Proverbs is a great book of wisdom. Years ago, Marge gave me a little Proverbs, the message. Still have that, Marge. Still use it every day. Because I read whatever day of the month it is. That's the proverb I read for the day. There's 31 Proverbs. Man, there's so much wisdom there. Proverbs 15.1 says this. A gentle answer deflects anger. So by not responding... Because if you respond, you're putting gas on the fire by not responding or by responding gently. It defers anger. Scripture goes on to say, harsh words make tempers flare. Sometimes we are at fault because we are sharp tongue back at them. And then all of a sudden you're in this war. So when people bait you, when they say something like, well, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you, but I mean, when someone says something to you that, that you don't agree with, you might say something like, yeah, there's a lot of people who might agree with you, but hey, tell me about your vacation this year. You see how you deflect it to a, another conversation? Hey, share with me that recipe. That was really great, you know, stuffing or whatever. Uh, don't take the bait. And I know there are some people who will say, well, I just can't leave that unanswered. I wouldn't be true to my faith. Uh, you've always got to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But, man, sometimes in those kind of situations, you really need to defer to a more <laughs> non-emotional <laughs> guidance 
which Proverbs, in Se- Proverbs 17 says this, a truly wise person uses few words. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Sometimes it's best not to, not to answer back. Sometimes it's best just to deflect. By not taking the bait, you won't end up looking like the idiot. And I want to tell you, you need to be secure enough in your convictions and beliefs that you don't need to respond. You know, (laughs) Jesus can take care of himself. Also, if you really believe they're trolling, that's one thing. But ask the Holy Spirit to give you the discernment on whether they're trolling or whether they're testing you. Because those things are two different things. Trolling is when someone has no other agenda than to push your buttons, to get you stirred up and angry. Testing is when they ask you something that might seem confrontational and combative, but it really isn't. They are testing your faith. They want to see if you have a reasonable answer, if you have an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus. It might be something they've always wondered about. And if you can enter into a sane, healthy, balanced conversation about your faith to someone, do it. Go for it. Share it. That's a huge win. That's what we want. We want to talk to people who are really open to the things of God. And this is where you need the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. If they're just floating a trial balloon out there to see if there's some kind of substance to your belief, man, that is an occasion worth rising to. And that is also biblical counsel, as we read earlier. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. That was one of our texts. Now you might be thinking, well, what if I don't have an answer? What if they ask me something that I I just don't know? And that's a good and fair question. And one thing that I always encourage people to do is default to your own story. And you can say, you know, I'm not sure about all those deep theological issues. But one thing I know is I used to be an alcoholic. And I haven't had a drink now for three years because Jesus helped me conquer that addiction. I can tell you this. I used to be a womanizer. I used to cheat on my wife. I used to, but I asked Jesus into my heart. And he set me free, and I have been faithful to her and to our kids. I'm a changed person because of Jesus Christ. I don't know about all those theological things, but I know that I was trapped in sin. Every night when I went to bed, I felt so guilty. And I asked Christ to forgive me of my sin. And it was like a thousand pounds was lifted off my shoulders And I see the good in life instead of the bad in life. I see the positive instead of the negative. I have hope for tomorrow. That's what Jesus did for me. Tell them your story. No one can deny that. 
You can say, man, Christ rocked my world. He changed my life. And it's not about religion. It's not about, you know, churches. It's not about denominations. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, God with us. One, one last person I want to talk about. We talked about the, you know, the allergy. We talked about the trolls. There's one other type of person which is called the disruptor. And family disruptors, well, they can really disrupt. That's what they do. Many times they're actually being used by the enemy. They come crashing into your life personally, into your home, into your extended family, sometimes at holidays, sometimes at weddings, and they bring all their dysfunction with them. They bring their addictions. They bring their financial problems, so they're asking you for money. They bring a trail of broken relationships. They bring their problems with authority or their problems with the law. They bring their codependencies. They're like a whirlwind of chaos that just comes blowing in. It's not an allergy. It's just not because somebody slurps, you know. It's not a troll that's just trying to get people emotionally on different sides of an issue. Now, I know this is really, really delicate. I know because um, these disruptors can be your family, could be your brother or sister or son or daughter or cousin. Or, but here's the best counsel that I can give you. When you are dealing with disruptors, you need boundaries. You need boundaries. Write that down, boundaries. Because it's not about what Jesus is doing in you. It's not about just deflecting a conversation. Because perhaps you're in danger at this point. Maybe your family's in danger. I love the book on boundaries. Our staff went through it many years ago. I had Dr. Norm Stickle come in, and we went through the book Boundaries. It was so important that we understand. In that book, it's by Christian psychologists Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Great people, Cloud and Townsend. They're well known. Um, they talk about just as people set up a physical boundary, perhaps a fence around your property, you need to set up mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual boundaries in your own life. It's important. Boundaries help you determine what belongs in your life and what doesn't. Doesn't mean you don't love the disruptors, that you don't want God to do something special for them, but you're not the Messiah. And you can't risk Losing what God has done for you or for your family. You see, boundaries protect you from harm. Boundaries protect you from abuse. They keep the good in, boundaries do, and they keep the bad out. And it's okay for Christians to have boundaries. Doesn't mean that you don't love them. Doesn't mean that you're not Christ-like. Erecting a boundary is not about select times when you don't have to love or don't have to forgive. 
because you're always called to love or forgive. But it doesn't mean that you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable, to be victims, to be taken advantage of. And I want you to think about this for a moment, how it works with forgiveness, okay? Lewis Smeads, in his book, Call Forgiveness, says, forgiveness does not always require reunion. Sometimes we think if we forgive someone, then we're immediately reunited with them. That's not biblical. Forgiveness does not require reunion. You can forgive somebody, but that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily welcome them back into your life, into the most intimate group of your your core family. And there's a reason. Because when a person wrongs us, it's not just about working through the anger and the resentment that we might have. It's also about if they are willing to address the wrong that was done. I love what Desmond Tutu from South Africa said. He gave this analogy. He says, if I have stolen your pen, I can't really be contrite when I say, oh, please forgive me, if at the same time I keep your pen. He goes on and he writes, if I'm truly repentant, then I will demonstrate this genuine repentance by returning your pen. See his point? You can forgive a disruptor, but that doesn't mean that you should allow him back into your life or family to disrupt you again. Smeads draws the line between forgiveness and reunion in this way. He says it takes one person to forgive. It takes two people to be reunited. Man, when you forgive, that's your decision. And I can tell you, because I've experienced it. When you forgive, you receive healing for a wound. Reunion happens in a relationship between people. There's been people I have forgiven, but I haven't been reunited with yet. Not that I'm not willing, but maybe it's not best. Maybe they're not willing, but I've still forgiven them. You can forgive somebody that has never said I'm sorry to you. But you can't be truly reunited unless that person is honestly sorry and repents and also wants to be reunited. So you can love somebody in your family. You can forgive them for wrongs they've done. And you can still biblically keep boundaries if they are a disruptor. And that is, again, what the Bible is teaching us. I want us to look at it again. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, There are people who will be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others, have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They'll have no interest in what's good. They'll betray their friends. And then, now this is biblical, friends. You've got to forgive them, but it also says you must stay away from people like that. Says your pastor, I want to give you permission to set boundaries that you need this Christmas season and into 2022. Has nothing to do with your love or your forgiveness. (laughs) Being loving and forgiving isn't about opening yourself up to more abuse. 
It's not about tolerating repetitive behaviors. It's not about inviting people to get close enough to hurt you again. Forgiveness is about the past. Reconciliation and boundaries are about the future. So as we kind of bring this around for Christmas, let me propose that there might be some people you don't want to invite to your family gathering. Or maybe there are some people that you won't allow to stay in your house with you. Instead, you'll offer them a hotel. There might be people that you should not let be alone with your children. There might be boundaries where you tell people that you love very dearly, you cannot do drugs while you're in my home. See, friends, Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, but it's not a free ticket for anyone who is abusive or unsafe or harmful or destructive to enter your home and to disrupt it. That's just being foolish. We have to be careful with this. The temptation will be to write people off left and right over really, you know, ticky-tacky kind of stuff. You know, just because you're allergic to someone... <laughs> doesn't mean that you need these boundaries and you say, well, they can't come because I don't like the way they eat or the way they dress or their perfume or whatever. Or even trolls. We're not even talking about trolls. People are going to come, kind of throw a hand grenade out there to see what the reaction's going to be. You can deal with that. You need to be open to those people. Boundaries are not put into place because you find somebody obnoxious or emotionally draining but listen if there is behavior that cannot be tolerated under any circumstance I'm talking about behavior that's illegal behavior that's abusive behavior that's potentially harmful the Bible is very clear to say no when someone attempts to inflict their sin their dysfunction onto your life. You can draw boundaries. You know, you can say to people, well, I'm willing to come and visit you, but I can't spend the night at your house. Or I'm willing to have them visit, but if they become disruptive or abusive, or I feel my kids aren't safe, I'm going to ask them to leave. See, everyone's boundaries are going to be different. But friends, if you have a disruptor, you've got to have boundaries. Because the Lord wants you to be healthy and whole. He doesn't want you to be abused. He doesn't want you to put your, your family in danger. And I know this is heavy for Christmas. <laughs> I understand that. I'm sorry if that's what your family portrait looks like. But I'm just telling you from an experience and from a church this size, I know that we're not all living the Hallmark movie, uh, you know, that I talked about. Uh, it's, it, we watched, Linda and I watched a Hallmark movie last night, and there was, you know, three or four subplots, two men that were at odds, and... And a, a gal who was 
in love, of course, with a guy from her high school days. That's just part of the Hallmark plots, you know. <laughs> but she was at odds with her business partner. And there was like three or four different things. And guess what happened at the end? Everybody reconciled. Everybody was happy. I felt so good, I just went to bed and had a good night's sleep after watching that movie, you know? <laughs> Believe me, if you have trouble sleeping, instead of watching the news, watch Hallmark movies. It just does your heart good. Some of you watch the news and then you don't know why you can't sleep at night. Well, there's a reason. <laughs> You've got to have boundaries. I know that not every family is that perfect family. And I'm praying for you. Some of you, I, I know what you're dealing with. Many of you, I don't know. But as your pastor, I'm praying for you that this Christmas season will be a good Christmas. And you can keep Christ in Christmas in your celebrating and in your relating. And then maybe today you've learned a few things that will help you in dealing with those that are allergies, <laughs> those who are just trolls looking for a good fight. And then I hope some of you will make the necessary boundaries to keep yourself safe if you have disruptors. Let's ask Christ today to fill us with his spirit so that we can have that discernment, so we can love like him. We can see people through his eyes. We can reflect the peace and the joy and the salvation that he has for us. You can enjoy a wonderful holiday season because, again, your peace, your joy, your security is not found in your family. It's not found in all the trappings of Christmas. It's found in the person of Christmas, and that person is Jesus Christ. And that's why keeping Christ in Christmas is not about cultural wars. It's really about keeping Christ in us. Let's pray. Father, today we have uh, ventured into some territory that isn't really easy to talk about, but it's territory that many of our dear church family live in where they do have family dynamics that aren't healthy, that aren't loving, that aren't close. And today, Lord, I just want to end this service by praying for those people, Lord, who will be at Christmas functions. And we've talked about families today, but the same principles apply to an office party or a block party for their cul-de-sac. And I just pray, God, that we will recognize the times that we live in and that, Lord, that we will keep Christ in the center of our life and that we will be ready to give an answer. I pray, Lord, that you'll give us patience and grace just not to allow those people who are allergens in our life to disrupt us. And I pray, Lord, that we will not take the bait of the trolls that are trying to get emotional responses and start a fight. I pray that we will just uh, deflect and we will defer. And Lord, I pray particularly for those who have been in abusive relationships, those who are dealing with those who are uh, involved in maybe illegal or, or unhealthy activities, that they will be able to love their family the way that you love them, but still set the healthy boundaries that they won't disrupt what you are doing in their life. 
Help us, God, as we navigate through this wonderful time of the year. Help us to keep you in the center of our life, that Christ will be in the center of our Christmas celebrations. In Jesus' name, let everyone say amen, amen. Let's stand as we conclude with this final song.